Mercy now. Every little thing could use some mercy now. That's a line from a song by Mary Gaucher. I agree. Totally agree. I could use some mercy now. For so many people, these have been troubling and difficult times. Today, I want to talk about mercy. The sermon is a bit of a reframing or defining of words and some suggestions on navigating these bumpy and destructive times we live in. What is mercy, grace, and compassion? When I listened to Mary Gaucher's song lyrics for Mercy Now, I thought of many quotes and good advice from my childhood. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And treat other people the way you want to be treated. And let everyone play. Share. Always leave a place cleaner than you found it. Don't take things that aren't yours. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. All these are good sayings to remember for a child and also for an adult. One more remembrance quote. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, that one is not actually true. Words do hurt. It does seem that today on social media, on TV, in our everyday conversations, there are so many hurtful words. Of course, this is not new that people can say negative or cruel things to each other. But it sure does seem that speech is becoming more hateful, more harsh, more negative, and more untrue. And along with those hurtful words, there are so many sad stories, so many ways people are not treated as they should be, and so many circumstances where the person who yells the loudest gets what they want. And in many situations, hateful words quickly turn to violence, and violence breeds more hate and more violence. We get so polarized in how we see situations that some can't hear each other or see other people's pain or sorrow or heartache when their situation does not fit the narrative in their own mind. Ridiculous. What has happened to basic courtesy, the golden rule and civility? I think understanding the words mercy, grace, and compassion can be helpful as we try to live well in 2019. Mercy can be seen as an extension or expression of love. Mercy is showing compassion to someone you have the power to punish or harm. Mercy is forgiving whether someone deserves it or not. Shakespeare wrote this in The Merchant of Venice. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It is blesseth him that gives and him that takes. I like Sue Monk Kidd's take on mercy. She wrote this in The Secret Life of Bees. The world will give you that once in a while, a brief time out. The boxing bell rings and you go to your corner where somebody dabs mercy on your beat up life. Grace, I think, is related to mercy, but it's not exactly the same. When we honor someone's presence, we have virtuous impulses and we offer them blessings, we are exhibiting grace. The following quotes help me understand the idea of grace just a little bit better. Anne Lamott wrote, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Mary Oliver, you can have the other words, chance, luck, coincidence, serendipity. I'll take grace. I don't know what it is exactly, but I'll take it. May Sarton wrote about how nature can help us learn grace. She wrote, everything that slows us down and forces patience, everything that sets us back into the slow circles of nature is a help. Gardening is an instrument of grace. 
Wendell Berry also talked about nature and how nature gives grace. He wrote, I come into the presence of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Of course, compassion is related to both mercy and grace. We can define compassion as a deep awareness of the suffering of another and the wish to relieve that suffering. Finding restoration is another way to think about compassion. Listen to these quotes about compassion. Compassion begins with attention, according to Daniel Goleman. The Dalai Lama said that compassion should be unbiased and based on the recognition that others have the right to happiness just like you. When we have compassion for others, we are with them in circumstances where they live. Henri Nguyen wrote, Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Education professor and motivational speaker Leo Buscali said, Too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. And Reverend Martin Luther King reminded us that if we have true compassion, we will see that our systems are fundamentally flawed towards some groups of people. He said this, True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs to be restructured. Mercy, grace, and compassion, three important values. We treat others well when we show mercy, give grace, and offer compassion. Unfortunately, not everyone treats others this way. Now that brings me back to the incivility and bad treatment of others that we have in our culture now. It is bad, but not unprecedented. There are so many areas of concern that could be part of this talk, but, you know, we'd be here all day if we covered everything. So I decided to concentrate my discussion on groups of people who are most marginalized in our society today and those stories that are most in today's news coverage. These are people of color, LGBTQ people, and immigrants. Really, it has never been easy for people who are different from the majority or different from the privileged in society to inhabit a space where mercy, grace, and compassion are extended toward them. It has rarely been easy to live in this society for people in these three groups. Many people from these groups are also poor, and many also have health issues with little access to medical care. Lack of financial resources compounds the problems faced by people of color, LGBTQ people, and immigrants. I have some examples for these three groups of people to explain what I mean about the difficulties of life. Let's begin with people of color. Of course, there are many, many improvements in the lives of people of color if we look at happenings from, say, 50 or 60 years ago even. We don't see signs now that say whites only that were common in the South many years ago. Uh, African Americans eat in restaurants without fear of being hurt. Uh, We don't have the kinds of violent law enforcement of peaceful protest about equality issues that we saw back then. But today, we see people calling the police on people of color who are napping in a dorm lobby. We see residents trying to swim at their homeowners association pool and being turned away. We see people touring a a college campus and the police show up. We see people um, going into their own home and someone calls the police or even sitting in a Starbucks. 
Recently, a teenager was held for a month, and an eight-year-old girl was held for two days in detention because their skin color and ancestry made them look like they were not legally in the United States. Police violence disproportionately impacts young people, and the young people affected are disproportionately people of color. Anthony Bue of the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of uh, California, Los Angeles, wrote, the trend of fatal police shootings in the United States seems only to be increasing, with the total of 457 civilians having been shot, 59 of whom are black, as of July 2nd, uh, 2019. Black people counted, accounted for 31% of police killing victims in 2012, even though they made up just 13% of the U.S. population. We see too many Native people living in poverty without access to good housing and the opportunity for a good life. Too many Hispanic and Latino citizens are assumed not to be U.S. citizens and are mistreated and discriminated against. Unitarian Minister Theodore Parker said this in a sermon in 1853, look at the facts of the world. You see a continual and progressive triumph of what is right. He said, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The ark is a long one. My eye reaches but a little ways. He says, I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight, but I can divine it by conscience. But from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. As you know, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. paraphrased Parker and said this, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We continue to work to bend the moral arc of the universe toward justice for all of us. And we seem to take steps forward and then take steps back. Next, uh, I'll give you some LGBTQ examples. These days, LGBTQ people have some important rights, like marriage equality. Many more uh, people are open with others about their lives. For many, it has become less dangerous to be LGBTQ. However, it is still the case that there's widespread discrimination and violence. For example, in the year 2017, it was the deadliest in recent history for LGBTQ people in the U.S., according to a report released by the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs. The report tra tracked at least 52 people who were killed as a result of anti-LGBTQ violence in 2017, making for an average of one homicide per week. The T in LGBTQ rights requires dramatic progress. This year so far, 10 trans women of color were murdered in the United States. Last year, the number was 26. This must stop. The modern LGBTQ rights movement was famously born in June of 1969 when patrons of New York Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village, neighborhood of Manhattan, fought back against a New York police department. 21 people were arrested. Many were injured in the riots against police brutality that ensued over the coming days. But from that event, a movement was energized that continues today. In this movement, it seems we have taken continually two steps forward and then steps back. President Barack Obama referenced Stonewall riots in a call for full equality during his second inaugural address in 2013. He said, we, the people, declare today that the most evident truth that all of us are created equal is a star that guides us still, just as it guided our forebears through Seneca Falls and Selma and Stonewall. He said, our journey is not complete until our gay brothers and sisters are treated like anyone else under the law. 
For if we are truly created equal, then surely the love we commit to one another must be equal as well. That was 2013. Then in 2016, a gunman killed 49 people at a gay bar, uh, a gay nightclub in Orlando. Yes, again, we move forward, and tragedy shows we have not moved so far. Immigrants is the third group I would like to discuss. Emerald Lazarus' sonnet, The New Colossus, was written in 1883. Its lines appear on a bronze plaque that was placed at the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty in 1903. The sonnet was written for and donated to an auction to raise funds to build the pedestal. Over the following decades, especially in the 20s, when the U.S. began to restrict immigration, the words of Lazarus took on a deeper meaning. Ellis Island was the main entry port for immigrants to America. Some estimates suggest that at least one-third of Americans today can trace their ancestors through Ellis Island. Did you know this? Passengers in the first class and second class were processed aboard their ships, and then they disembarked in downtown Manhattan, not through Ellis Island. It was only passengers in steerage or third class that had to go to Ellis Island. Immigrants who could afford first or second classes clearly were not destitute, and they were probably not also communist or anarchist. People of financial means were viewed as lower risk. Yes, there was discrimination there with Lady Liberty. Today, many immigrants come through our southern border trying to escape starvation, brutal dictators, and economic chaos in their own countries. We know about people being put in cages, children being separated from their parents, children adopted by American families never to see their parents again. We hear about the lack of basic needs and unsanitary conditions at the detention centers, and there seems to be no way out for these people seeking asylum here. There's talk about totally closing the borders to asylum seekers. Whenever this border closure talk happens, relevant lines from the New Colossus are always quoted in opposition. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore, Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my light beside the golden door. Yes, with immigrants, we have taken some steps forward and steps back. America, a land of opportunity for people from other countries. It was for a time, but there was discrimination then too. Now there seems to be not so much opportunity and there's much discrimination against many groups of people. All this sadness and the struggle for people who want to have a good life reminds me of the poem by Langston Hughes called Let America Be America Again. Langston Hughes was a central figure in the Harlem Renaissance. Um, The flowering of black intellectual, literary, and artistic life that took place in the 20s in a number of American cities, but primarily Harlem. Hughes' poem was written way back in 1935. It rings very true today. This is a portion of the poem that gives us hope that we can live up to the promise of America. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet and yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, those who made America, whose blood and sweat, whose faith in pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain, must bring back our mighty dream again. Oh, yes, I say it plain, America never was America to me, yet I swear this oath, America will be.
Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we the people must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains and the endless plain, all, all the stretch of these great green states and make America again. It's very true that what we see happening in our society now is not new. I've given you several examples of that. We've seen this country struggle with issues and sometimes come out on the right side and other times fail miserably. We've always made some incremental progress in becoming more fair, more equal, more understanding, and we've always slid back some in our progress. I think in the past we've seen the line or trajectory of our progress just get a little better over time. And it seemed that in the past, the progress we made maybe had a little bit of staying power. What seems different to me now is that it seems that we're taking more steps backward than forward. Also, what's happening feels a little personal to me. I think that in the, that's the case for many of us. We've worked on these issues. We've voted. We've protested. We've seen progress, and progress is being taken away. I'm disappointed with where we are in 2019 based on where I remember we were going in 1980 and 1990 and 2000 and even 2008. Now, let me note that this thought of disappointment is, of course, a little white privilege if I don't think more deeply than that idea about my disappointment. The perspective of asylum seekers, LGBTQ citizens, people of color, and others who have a really hard time must be considered. In what ways have their lives been destroyed or made more difficult? How are they marginalized every day? What structures in our government and our laws keep their problems from being solved? What are their fears for their families? What are their fears for their future? How does it impact their psychological and physical health to always feel under assault, literally and figuratively? How can I walk along with people under siege to help make things better, remembering to respect their views and their voices and to let them lead. I remember a song sung by Ann Murray back in the early 80s called A Little Good News. Songwriters were Rory, Michael Bork, Charlie Black, and Tommy Rocco. It's about a wish for a utopia that really can't exist, not in the 80s and certainly not now. Some of the lyrics are, One more sad story is one more than I can stand. Just once... How I'd like to see the headlines say, not much to print today, can't find nothing bad to say, because nobody robbed a liquor store in the lower part of town, nobody OD'd, nobody burned a single building down, nobody fired a shot in anger, nobody had to die in vain. We sure could use a little good news today. Now, there's a line in the song that says, and everybody loves everybody in the good old USA. That would certainly be great. We want that America, but, you know, it's not where we are right now. So what now? What do we do? We can't just acknowledge these inequities and do nothing. How do we deal with our world not being idyllic like those good news lyric songs? Mercy now. That's what we need. Mercy now. Mary Gaucher wrote this. I'll give you more of her lyrics. My father could use a little mercy now. The fruits of his labor fall and rot slowly on the ground. His work is almost over. It won't be long. He won't be around. I love my father. He could use some mercy now. My brother could use a little mercy now. He's a stranger to freedom. He's shackled to his fear and his doubt. 
The pain that he lives in, it's almost more than living will allow. I love my brother. He could use some mercy now. My church and my country could use a little mercy now. As they sink into a poisoned pit, it's going to take forever to climb out. They carry the weight of the faithful who follow them down. I love my church and my country. They could use some mercy now. Every living thing could use a little mercy now. Only the hand of grace can end the race toward another mushroom cloud. People in power, they'll do anything to keep their crown. I love life and life itself could use a little mercy now. Yeah, we could all use a little mercy now. I know we don't deserve it, but we need it anyhow. We hang in the balance, dangle between hell and hallowed ground, and every single one of us could use some mercy now. Every single one of us could use some mercy now. Yes, we need to receive mercy. Give us a break, please. I'm not so good at keeping positive sometimes, but that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm trying to keep one foot in front of the other and trying to help make the world a better place. So this is what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm trying to show mercy and grace and compassion to others. And so I've got several sort of uh, ideas here. One is acknowledge. Yes, this is a difficult time. Mary Oliver wrote, It is a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in this broken world. Two, remember context. Context is important. As I said earlier, we have seen these cycles before, and we have seen things get better. Things will get better again. Three, learn. We need to learn as much as we can about legal issues, about the situations that are happening to people. We need to understand how change can be made through social justice and how that change can be institutionalized so we don't have to keep fighting the same battles over and over. Civics education is a must. Four, affirmations. We need to reassure ourselves that things can get better. I like this statement from Adrian Rich. It gives me hope. My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed, I have to cast my lot with those who age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. Five, joy. It's important to find joy where we can. This gives us energy for taking action. Another Mary Oliver quote, Sometimes I need only to stand wherever I am to be blessed. We have to remember to find joy in our days. Six, act. We must act. We must do the thing we can do to help people have opportunities to do well and live better lives. We must be involved in the process of our government. We must choose wisely who our leaders are, and then we must hold them accountable. We must remember to give mercy and grace and compassion to others. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, If human beings can be trained for cruelty and greed and a belief in power, which comes through hate and fear and force, certainly we can train equally well for greatness and mercy and the power of love, which comes because of the strength of the good qualities to be found in the soul of every human being. Seven, stay in community. Remember to love others, to care for others. Find a safe place to be who you are, and then fiercely protect that safe place by showing mercy and compassion and by giving grace to others in that community. And expect others to give that same respect to you. Don't let different ideas create division. There's already enough division in our days. Resist the urge in the community 
to be right or to have your say to the detriment of someone else. And remember the words to that UU song. We forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. We always begin again in love. Let's this UUFM community be our safe haven. Eight, repeat. Do it all again. Acknowledge, context, learn, affirmation, joy, act, stay in community, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat. And we also need to give mercy, compassion, and grace to others, just like we must give to ourselves. These are hard days. This can be a more difficult proposition. Of course, our UU principle, the worth and dignity of every person, comes into play here. Giving mercy and compassion to those who are hurting, disenfranchised, discriminated against, we can do that. Giving mercy and compassion to others who have our same concerns, we can do that. How do we give mercy and compassion to those who are complicit in the negative, hurtful society that we see? Eh, I'm still working on that one. That's a difficult one. Now, don't mistake my um, comment about giving mercy and compassion um, to these people who are complicit. I'm not saying that we give up or we give in to those negative forces and negative people. Of course, we must keep attention and use our best efforts to right the serious wrongs in our society. The best way I know to keep the first principle related to those who are complicit in the ways we are losing progress in forming our more perfect union is to not demonize an individual person. It simply does no good. Like that old joke about wrestling a pig. My take on the joke for the topic is, arguing with people who are working in negative ways against their fellow citizens is like mud wrestling with a pig. After a while, you realize the pig likes it. So going after a person doesn't help anything. We have to find our mercy, not punishing others. Our grace, those virtuous impulses. Our compassion, actions to relieve suffering by concentrating our efforts on the people who need our help and by concentrating on those who are with us in this effort. Adrian Rich said this, There must be those among us whom we can sit down and weep and still be counted as warriors. We weep for the future and all of our citizens, and yes, we will be warriors for justice. I think the best way to live the first principle is this, we must create a society that respects the worth and dignity of all people. I'll close with this prayer called, These Words Are What We Need, and it's written by Unitarian Universalist Minister Maureen Killerin. This prayer is for all, for all who are fearful about the economy, about the fate of our country, health care for yourself and your children, for all those whose heart aches at the injustices being done to others in our name, for all who fear for the survival of the planet, for all who fear whether they will be allowed to enter or to leave or to remain. We make this prayer for all who deal daily with failing health, difficult diagnoses, challenging treatments, or health care routines, for all who struggle with difficulties at school or work, for all who are facing hard decisions, for all who are living in challenging relationship. We make this prayer for ourselves and for all the fears and concerns, the joys and celebrations. We make this prayer for the children, for their future, and for the ever-blooming possibilities of spring. We make this prayer to hold in our hearts all the precious blessings of our lives. 
We make this prayer not because we expect it to make the world turn or change. We make this prayer to remind ourselves of who we are, of what life is, and how important love can be. We make this prayer because these words are what we need. Thank you.